Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Good morning. Good morning, church. I just got to make sure you're alive. Make sure we're all awake and all of that. How are y'all doing? I am Lance, the student ministry pastor here at Epicos Church. And it is just an honor, a privilege to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, and, and we're hopping back in Hebrews. But before I kind of get to that, up to a little bit of a story. We, I grew up in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, in, in Jackson, Tennessee, a lot of people get confused. They're like, they try to correct me. They're like, do you mean Jackson, Mississippi? You mean Jackson, Mississippi, right? No, Jackson, Tennessee, a small town in the country. And when you're a kid, it's just something about like living through a lot of little mini adventures. Like everything feels like an adventure. And, and, and for some reason, we get older, you don't have that same kind of, nothing is an adventure anymore. Everything is like boring side quests, right? Like paying your bills, uh, paying your mortgage, and all, paying your rent. You're like, all right, this is not it. But when you're a kid, it's just everything that happens, it kind of manifests as like this an adventure that you experience. And, we, and me, my siblings, my friends, we had a lot of these adventures. And, and, and my, my grandmother, she lived in this cul-de-sac. We lived with her on the street called Hackberry Lane. And I remember one day, vividly, coming from the, the store, which was up the road. So we live in the country. There are no sidewalks. So everything is up the road. So we lived it. I came from the store up the road, had my, my juice, my Mystic, uh, my Twix, and a bag of chips. I don't remember what the bag of chips were. And I was walking down. Um, the, this road, Hackberry Lane. And we had new neighbors that had just moved in a couple weeks prior. Uh, that, that relevance will show itself a little bit later in this story. So I'm walking down and I'm passing the new neighbor's house. And out of nowhere, a dog hops out the driveway and starts chasing me. Okay, now I bolt. I'm like, gone, like Usain Bolt gone, you know what I mean? And, and I'm like running for my life because I'm being terrorized by this dog, right? And, and as this poodle is chasing me, I realize, I realize that, okay, all right, I got to figure out how close I am to home, like, all right, and then because when whenever you start running, it feels like you're running for five miles. But in reality, I realized my grandmother's house is only at like a quarter of a block away from this new neighbor's house. And so I, I, all, with all the strength that I could muster, I, I pedal on home, and as the dog retreats, I finally make it home safe. Now, only thing worse than being chased by a dog is being chased by that same dog multiple times through multiple summers, right? And, 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 and we didn't understand how to kind of outrun this dog until we got bikes, right? And when we got those bikes, everything changed. We, we never had to worry about running from the dog ever again. As soon as I hop on a bike, I just pedal away. I'm gone. I don't got to worry about no dog biting my ankle or no poodle named Pepper, which lived up the road, <laughs> biting me, right? See, often as Christians, we have a lot of things that pursue us, that chase us, that vie for our attention, that's on our ankles, just like that little poodle did. It, and, and sometimes they're not as, as maybe innocent or small as the things that we experience. It's different opinions. It's different things on social media. It's all of these different things that take us away from the promises of God. 
the promises of God, which are so important, so vital. And, and, and we, when we experience the promises of God, there's so much in store for us. But there's, there's only one way to access the promises of God. And it's the one thing we need to take our eyes off of all of these other distractions and point our eyes to, and that's Jesus. We're getting back into Hebrews today, but the first thing I want to make a note of, you're taking notes, is that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Uh, we're back in Hebrews. We're in chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Um, and and what, what you need to know here is that the author is continuing to talk to the audience, the, the Hebrew audience, about all of the things that they need to know. He's trying to talk to them about the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how all that correlates with Jesus. And so we're picking back up in chapter 5, verse 7, and I'll read. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what the author is explaining here is that Jesus is the high priest. Now, why is that even important? Some of us don't even uh, understand kind of like what the context of a priest is. All right, and I'll try to to explain that in a, a smaller metaphor about how uh, with me, my family moved up the road from my grandmother on Hackberry Lane, and me, my brother, and my sister, we opened up a lemonade and popcorn stand. Why do we do this? Because we wanted to buy snacks. It was not that deep. We wanted to buy snacks. We wanted to accrue snacks over the summer so that we could stay fed, uh, as much nutrition as you can get from a Twix bar and things like that. But we understood that there was this system in place. If we would work for our change and our money, we would be able to go to the store with that money and exchange that money for snacks. It's kind of like this simple system. And, and, and it's the same way in uh, what you would call a spiritual economy in the way that when we have sins, right, when we have uh, things that, uh, uh, that we, whether we do uh, say or think that God does not, does not align with what God wants us to do, or if we inherited sin from Adam and Eve all the way in the book of Genesis in the garden, that there has to be an exchange for that. See, there's only one true exchange for sin, and that's death. Death is the only thing that can be exchanged for sin. And a little bit more of the Old Testament context on this, and if you, and there's some really cool videos, uh, they'll be on the hub on Monday, some resources that kind of explains this even further. I won't have a whole lot of time to talk on this. But in the Old Testament, th there was the system that God had instituted with his people. 
And they understood this exchange, right, this sacrifice. And so essentially there was this temple that was set up. And the people would have to bring a sacrifice. It would have to be without spot, without blemish, had to be perfect. And they would have to bring it to the temple and they would have to give it to the priest because they couldn't really go into the temple. They weren't right with God and that wasn't their role. But the high priest would take these sacrifices, only the high priest would go before God, the only person that could go into the Holy of Holies to present themselves before God and the high priest would present their sacrifice. And that was the Old Testament system looking forward to what Jesus would do on the cross. See, Jesus was ultimately the sacrifice that we needed. And it wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't necessarily the exchange system of my lemonade stand or anything like that. It, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. They didn't, pe- the people and us, we don't have to keep bringing sacrifice to the temple. But not only that, Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Jesus not only sacrificed himself, but he was able to, he is even now interceding for us between us and God and God the Father. It's important that we understand what it took for that, the interceding to happen. And I think sometimes we believe that, you know, like me and the other pastors here at the church, that we have more anointing to be able to go before God and ask for forgiveness of sins uh, than you do. That's false. It's not true. Because of Jesus, the ultimate high priest who is able to intercede for us, who also was that sacrifice, y'all got access to God. Y'all have access to God and his promises, eternal salvation. And sometimes, I don't know where this comes from, but sometimes we have the notion that, nah, this is too big for God. This thing that I got going, that I'm going through and that I experienced is too much. If God knew this, wouldn't be good for me. The author talks about it in the previous chapter, in chapter 4. He addresses that in a way by saying, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So not only did Jesus live a sinless life, die on a cross, be that ultimate sacrifice, and is, our high, is the ultimate high priest who is better than all the other priests in the Old Testament. But he understand what we're going through. He get it. So when you go before God, when you pray, when you ask God for forgiveness, or you ask God for help in, your, in what you're going through, know that he understands you. He gets it. He's not out of touch. Because everything that we've experienced, he's experienced a hundred times over, and he did not sin. It's an awesome thing. It's important for us to recognize that 
when we have those hangups in life that we can go to God. As the author picks back up here in, in chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, he kind of makes a left turn a little bit. He, he changes the rhetoric a little bit and goes towards a rebuke. We're going to read. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, to distinguish good from evil. Author's explaining here that he, un- he is aware of all the things that the, the, the Hebrews are listening to and what they're experiencing. And he's letting them know, hey, y'all ears have become dull to what God wants to say to you, to what God wants to teach you. And y'all should be in a place where y'all should be able to teach others and be able to mature on uh, what you would call this solid food. But y'all still need milk. I don't think anybody here would go to like their favorite restaurant. And I use Cheesecake Factory because I just assume everybody likes Cheesecake Factory. Even if that's not true, I'm still going to go on with this analogy. The Cheesecake Factory, right? Nobody goes there and says, hey, can I get two orders of baby food? Can I get like one now? And then when I get hungry later watching Netflix, I'm going to pull it out then. Nobody here is like, unless you're a baby, uh, unless you, maybe you eat or into baby food. If that's your thing. Okay. But everybody else, nobody here is trying to go to Cheesecake Factory for baby food. But here we are, right? In, in a similar fashion, the, the author is saying, why do you want to keep going back to that? We, we've told you everything. We, we ta- we've, we, you've learned about what's going on with Jesus. You've learned about what happened in the Old Testament, yet you still want to go back to what you need to, and not the things that you need for growth. And, and the things that you need to desire in order to learn who Jesus is more, learn more who the characteristics of God is more. We're not too dissimilar. Because often we go to God either for our low points or to get a pat on the back. We go to God when it's a crisis or when we feel like we've been the best Christian ever. But that in-between time, the things that you do in between to know who God is more and to mature in your faith, that has to take place. We shouldn't simply only rely on this Sunday service to be the thing that grow, is, is spurring your growth. It could be a part of it. You shouldn't only allow the small group to be the only thing that's spurring your growth. It could be a part of it, it's important. 
But God is asking you, what are you going to do to get past the baby food, to get to know him more, and to live out the reality of you accepting Christ? Leads well into my next point, which is we are called to graduate our faith. We are called to graduate our faith. We're going to hop on over to chapter 6 and start in verse 1. We're called to graduate our faith. And I'm going to read, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we would do if God permits. I'm going to stop right there. Be very clear. Graduating our faith, as the author puts it, um, to, uh, and let us leaving the elementary doctrine of Christ does not mean that what Christ did on the cross doesn't matter. As he's talking to the audience here, he's not saying that everything that Christ did, you just need to know about it and you forget it and you move on to the next thing. What he is saying, in order to graduate our faith, we need to figure out all the parts of our life, how we can, have, how we can live it in a way that it's centered on Christ and founded on Christ. We need to find a way and we need to be able to get past simply coming to church, simply doing all the checkbox things. And we need to find a way and need to be aware of how God may be calling us to leave the elementary doctrine. I think about it in this way. If we graduate from elementary school, we... We, we should be able to use our ABCs to formulate sentences and talk and be able to communicate with others, or at least that's the expectation. We don't graduate from elementary school and then we just stop using our ABCs. It, it just kind of Sims talk or uh, Animal Crossing's villager talk, right? We don't do that thing there. But we continue to progress in our speech and how we talk so that we can continue to communicate with one another in a way that we can understand one another. It's the same way when we mature in our faith. Maturing in our faith is paramount to others knowing who Christ is. It's paramount in us knowing who God is. Don't be the person that just comes here, checks the box, leave, and then you wonder why. God is not, quote-unquote, speaking to you, or you wonder why God is not doing a work in your life. He is. You just need to call on him. You just need to rely on him. You just need to learn more about who he is. See, coming to church for a really long time and not maturing is a lot like bad coffee. I know because often I, I, I accidentally stumble upon some bad coffee or I'll go into a coffee shop and I get lost in my work, way too busy. That's how my brain works. I just think whatever I'm doing is saving the world. 
And then when I turn in my coffee and I come to drink it, it's lukewarm and it's nasty. It's disgusted. I'm like, what happened? Because I let the coffee sit there. That was on me. And the same thing with us. We should not allow our faith to just sit there. We should not allow our, our salvation to just sit there as if it's going to necessarily grow itself. No, God is the one that grows it, but we need to be able to seek out God and learn more about who he is. Because God has more in store for us. Because if we know Christ, we should be more Christ-like. I'm going to pick back up in verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. I'm going to be very clear on this part and what the author is saying here. The author is not saying that you can lose your salvation. And also to be clear, if if you don't know this, uh, Epicos takes a clear stance on this that you cannot lose your salvation. It's not something that we can lose. It's not ours to lose. It's not like the keys that you leave around your house or that remote that you just kind of put wherever and you got it when it's time to watch TV. You're like, what happened? That's not how salvation works. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God to give to us. We need to be aware that no matter what we do, when we trust in God and we profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, then that never changes. But on the other hand, why would you even want to play with God? Like, why would you even want to be on the other side of God's goodness, his mercy, the promises, that eternal salvation, him transforming us? Why would you want to be on the opposite side of that? It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. I I encourage you, if you got doubts and have questions, Seek out those answers. If you have doubts about the scripture, doubts about God, but seek God out. Don't run away from him. Lean into what he has for you. Don't just simply fall away. Pastor Anthony talked about it last week, how easy it is to drift away. Because what the author is saying here in an eternal sense, when, you re- when we reject God, we reject his salvation in an eternal sense. But it's not too late right now. It's not too late today. 
you ain't been to church in a while, or if you come to church every single Sunday, but you've struggled with that, it's not too late to give over your life to Christ. To trust that God can save us so that we don't have to experience any of these things and any things just listed right here. If you have more questions, there's videos and articles in the hub as well. Oh, there will be tomorrow. I'm talking more about this. Well, we need to realize that we often criticize family members or friends who don't reach out to us, they don't talk to us. And we're like, man, this person will never call me. They don't ever talk to me. What's going on, man? Like, I'm just going to cut them off because, like, oh, my, they don't talk to me. They don't call me. That's not what a real friend or a real family member would do. And sometimes they don't realize that's how we look to God. When we don't, we don't pray, we don't read his word, we don't live out what he tells us to do. The difference is, is that God is patient. Let us draw toward God and what he has for us and his promises. Not away. Let us not be distant from what he has for us. Last bit here. If you're taking notes, is that our faith rests on the promises of God. It's our faith rests on the promises of God. I'm going to pick up in verse 13. Sorry, I'm skipping a little bit ahead. Pick up in verse 13. Um, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. The author here, in explaining what it looks like to be faithful um, is, and he's telling the audience that they need to not be sluggish and that they need to show love and they need to, um, for his name is serving the saints and they need to be imitators through faith, right? They need to be imitating faith by looking towards Abraham. Now, I don't know what you know about Abraham. Um, Abraham, the father of our faith, if you read through the book of Genesis, you're going to follow uh, his life. But Abraham was not perfect. <laughs> he wasn't perfect at all. He made a lot of mistakes. They're documented. But the one thing about Abraham is that Abraham, though through his mistakes, through his shortcomings, he remained faithful to God. And God utilized that faith to mature him. And, and towards the end of his life, Abraham experienced the blessings and the promises of God. That's what the author is referencing in verse 15, uh, how Abraham patiently waited and he obtained the promise of God. And we have a lot that we can learn from that. We have a lot that we can learn about how our faithfulness 
and us remaining faithful to God, living our life according to what God wants us to do, that we, it cause, causes growth, that we can experience growth from that. See, often it's not uncommon for people to say stuff like, why do I need to go to church? I don't need to go to church. What's that for? That's just the institution. That's just so people can come and they can collect my tithes and and I go about my merry way. Why would I do that? Now, some people say stuff like, man, all I got to do is be a decent person. I don't don't like murder nobody or kill nobody. I'll be all right. I'll be okay if I could just do the right things. God is calling us to do more than just be good people according to our standards. And, and, and the rebuke that the author made in here was addressing that. Y'all come in here and just doing these traditions and these uh, customs, but maturity is what you need. That's what we all need. We don't, we don't need to only do the checkbox Christian things to grow in Christ. We can do more. We can move past that. In the book of James, as we covered just a few weeks back, he puts it this way. You see that faith was active in chapter 2. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So again, we see the pairing of these faith and the works and how important it is for us to live out our faith. Before you leave today, I'm going to challenge you. One or two things, at least one thing that you're going to do off this list to mature in your faith. Join in a small group. Again, not, not by itself will, will, it, will it be able to mature you, but it's so necessary to be in community and to be encouraged by others and uplifted by others. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, it talks about how we shouldn't fail to meet with one another. Serving your community. Y'all got y'all to gotta easy out. Y'all have campus pastors or Pastor Tommy at West Dallas and Pastor Frank at Mayfair Road and Pastor Ed at Sherman Park and Pastor Jacob at the east side who all have community partners that they're actively working with to try to be lights in our community. Reach out to your campus pastor. Tell him, I, I, I don't know how much time I got. I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm trying to mature in my faith. And I know that Pastor Lance said that serving the community and that scripture said that serving one another is important. It's going out of your way to serve and uplift your friends, your co-workers, your family. Maybe you have a, a, a wrong posture towards the people around you that are close to you and that you need to change. 
and that you need to start going above and beyond to honor others. That's what Scripture tells us to do. Or maybe it's going deeper with God, and that requires us to make use of spiritual practices and, and different things. If you have a study guide, in the back of that study guide, there are spiritual disciplines that today when you leave and go home, you can start practicing them right away that I guarantee that if you continue to practice those things and rely on God, there's maturity on the other side of that, which allows us to experience and, and take part in the promises of God. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. You sent your only son to die on the cross for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins, but also, dear Lord, so that we can have a high priest, somebody who intercedes for us so that we don't need no earthly priest, we don't need nobody. We can go straight to you because of Jesus. And we are so thankful for that, dear Lord. Do not let us be immature Christians. As the scripture here challenges the Hebrews to maturity, dear Lord, we just take on the challenge as well so that we don't just check the boxes or just do the things that we're supposed to do, but that we truly want to experience what you have for us. I pray for those who don't know you, dear Lord, and that might be here today. I pray that you bless them. And I pray that as they are doing, have something stirred in their heart, dear Lord, that they be willing to give over their life to you. And they can profess Jesus is Lord and that he died on the cross for their sins. And so that they can start experiencing you. God, we thank you. Allow us to grow. Allow us to mature. Allow us to move on past elementary doctrine, but to truly experience you. In Christ's name we pray.